welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Luke Johnson. I'm a member of the corporate team in Houston. And today we're talking about the state of U.S. oil and gas supply growth and specifically what's looking more and more like a slowdown in U.S. supply growth, especially in natural gas, but in oil as well. So to explore this slowdown a little more in depth, we have our very own Abhi Rajendran with us today. He heads up the North American side of Energy Intelligence's research and advisory group and wrote about this supply slowdown in the Weekly Navigator memo that we recently published. Hey, how's it going, Abhi? Good. It's great to be here. Good to have you. We've also got Ian Nathan, uh, who is responsible for gas and LNG in the RNA group. How's it going, Ian? Hi, how you doing? Good. And we have Noah Brenner, who heads up the corporate team in Houston. How's it going, Noah? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. All right, Abi, let's start with you. Uh, based on some of the things that you have said in the past, I'm guessing this slowdown in growth does not exactly come as a surprise for you. I mean, a slowdown in the second half of 2019 has kind of been our view for a while now. So I guess, uh, where do you see the sharpest slowdown coming in gas production or in oil? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. Um, and it's something that we've been kind of sharpening our knives on really since the, the end of last year, you know, when we had this big downdraft in oil prices and, 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 and we had said coming into 2019 that you were going to have this this right sizing of supply and that was going to be the the theme um, over the course of this year now for the really the first half of the year we were kind of focused more on oil and we saw you know some modest incremental signs of the of the slowdown um, as companies uh, readjusted their corporate strategies to prioritize free cash flow and returns at the expense of growth but i think what you've seen um, focused again more on the oil side especially over the last you know, couple of weeks and months. Um, and then this earnings cycle is still evolving, but you know, I think we have a, quite a few data points to touch on it already, is that you, know, you, you, know, you may be in for even more of a disappointment in terms of the, the cadence for supply um, exiting this year um, and into 2020. Uh, just to throw some numbers out there, you know, we had adjusted um, you know, several months ago our supply growth number for this year for just oil, um, to about 1.335 million barrels a day, um, and that's slowing down next year um, to you know in the range of 850,000 to 900,000 barrels a day. Now, I would say that what we've seen you know recently um, you know certainly puts some downward bias to both those numbers. So I think our number this year, um, and we're in the process of fine tuning it, is going to come in closer to 1.3 million barrels a day of just oil growth. Um, and next year, you're probably going to be more in the 800 to 850,000 barrels a day um, of, of oil growth for now. Now, now gas is a you know is, is kind of this you know this this emerging um, slowdown area, right? Where this very severe downdraft that you've had in gas prices now barely holding on to to two dollars per MMBTU uh, for the front month, um, with the front with the forward curve having shifted down. Um, you know, our view again on the gas side was that you're going to see the supply slowdown where last year you had, you know, over eight and a half BCF a day of dry gas supply growth. You know, we thought that was going to slow down next year to somewhere in the ballpark of about, you know, four, a little over four BCF a day of supply growth. Now, n next year's numbers, again, we are in the process of revising that down further. So we're in the, you know, we're closer to about three and a half BCF a day of supply growth next year, um, which obviously has some wide implications. So this slowdown is kind of playing out as we speak um, you know we'll get more data points over the course of of, of the next several months 
Um, you know, but again, some of these macro fears and things that are also being injected into the equation um, are going to also play into this. Okay, so Noah, let's bring this um, kind of into a corporate context here. Uh, there's this uh, supply slowdown, and obviously the gas prices are going to hit a lot of the uh, a lot of the companies in the Appalachian and Hainesville basins, uh, especially. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about uh, what the what the corporate impact is to this slowdown in growth? Sure. I mean, I think we've seen almost across the board, with just one or two exceptions, uh, the major gas-focused independents are, are slowing down. They're slowing down their activity. Uh, they're being asked by investors to not grow as much as they have been in the past. And uh, alongside with that, um, they also are, are looking at not only just the second half of this year, but also into 2020. You know that 2020 outlook. Um, you know what investors are looking for is for them to be able to slow and also do it in a way that's capital efficient. And so we saw actually, I mean, really a bloodbath in in Appalachian uh, equities. Uh, what it was about a week ago or so, after we had Cabot, you know, a bellwether uh, a bellwether company, you know, probably the the most financially strong company in Appalachia, say that hey, we're gonna we're gonna grow a little bit less, but it's gonna take us a little bit more money to do it. And so we saw some erosion in the capital efficiency there. And so that's been a huge issue. But I, I mean, I would also just point out that this gas price um, pinch is not just being felt by the gas companies or what we would think of as an, a gas independent. Um, you know, ExxonMobil flagged that low U.S. gas prices, along with low gas prices across the world, um, were a major headwind for its second quarter earnings. And so this is, and it, I would say Chevron as well, flagged specifically Permian gas prices, but I mean, this is overall a gas price problem um, as, as a reason that, you know, it's something they're looking to work on in the, in the coming uh, couple quarters to try to better their realization. So this is a problem for the industry as a whole, not simply the, the U.S. Uh, gas-focused independence. And Shell, too, they also got bludgeoned because of low gas prices. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just having, uh, it's, it's reverberations through the industry. Okay, uh, let's pull this back even a little bit further, Ian. Uh, let's bring you in and talk about what this means for LNG. Uh, obviously, there's a pretty full slate of project sanctions expected in the coming months and quarters. Uh, so what does this supply slowdown in the U.S. mean for kind of the larger supply demand picture on the LNG side? Well, you know, it's interesting, and just building a little bit on, on the price discussion, um, you know, we're watching... We're watching the strip, you know, which uh, which is close to three dollars, uh, you know, earlier this year, but not consistently above three dollars since uh, November, December of last year, and and you know, three dollars seems to be, uh, you know, for for the gassy plays, really that uh, you know that price that will encourage uh, encourage you know um, you know investment uh, back in, in in supply growth. But you know, we could talk for another hour about that alone. But I think really what we should be looking at now. Um, you know, at, at this point in time, is you know, is the development in innovative pricing um, from some of the the ventures that are looking to uh, advance in the U.S. Lower 48. You know, projects increasingly turning to uh, the Permian for feed gas. Um, you know, I mean, I think this is where the focus needs to be. And if you look at next decade. For example, uh, offering uh, a Brent uh, indexation component, um, you know, in part to encourage producers in the Permian to keep producing oil in order to keep getting that associated gas, I think is really uh, an important thing to keep in mind. Then I'm also looking at, for instance, uh, Apache's deal with Chenier, 
uh, to provide feed gas to its stage three uh, plans in uh, in Corpus Christi, you know, where it will achieve a, a net back based on so-called international prices. So, so ultimately, I think that the innovative pricing, uh, in, innovative may be a little bit of a strong word, but but certainly uh, the pricing ad- adjusting to ensure that both. Uh, um, you know that the suppliers are, um, are are remunerated appropriately, and that supply uh, keeps flowing. I think that's really an important focus um, in, in in looking forward. So, is the Permian gas uh, so attractive primarily because uh, it's just so cheap and also close to the export terminals? Is that the main dynamic there? That's that's really the key thing. I mean, we're we're, we're talking about and and funny thing is if you look at at at, at the way this has shifted. Uh, you know, you can see uh, uh, not just this greater focus on the gas, but also, uh, you know, growing pipeline plans uh, in order to facilitate that gas movement uh, down to the Gulf Coast. So uh, this is much, uh, very much a growing growing dynamic. But, you know, uh, you know, you also do need, you know, because of the nature of, of the U.S. market, you do need to keep into consideration other plays. But from, uh, from a U.S. lower 48 project perspective, uh, this focus has shifted really um, in, in many respects to the Permian uh, for that feed gas. Mm. Interesting. Uh, it, so uh, China is expected to account for a pretty substantial portion of this future LNG demand, but uh, of course the big uh, macroeconomic news uh, recently is this escalation in the U.S.-China trade, or at least the stated escalation. Um, how do you expect that to impact uh, the dynamics in the global gas market? Well, you know, we, we've always seen this as, uh, you know, in two, in two parts. Uh, you know, part one is, is the short-term part, you know, which is how, how, are, uh, how are trade flows uh, working right now? And then the longer-term part, which is how, uh, how is this going to impact, you know, the U.S.-China uh, trade issue ultimately going to impact project sanctions? And that, um, in many respects, is, is, is more important because uh, you have uh, several projects that are, uh, you know, really uh, basing their plans on Chinese buyers. And if that's not materializing, uh, you know, that puts them at risk. And this is becoming, well, not becoming, it has become uh, a, a, an even bigger problem as low-cost uh, and very competitive supply around the world has really started to, uh, to ramp up and, and present itself. Um, so, uh, you know, so I, I think that, you know, again, you have, um, you know, ventures in the U.S. that if they can provide um, innovative, attractive commercial uh, structures, innovative and attractive pricing structures, um, and otherwise meet the needs of, of, of buyers, particularly portfolio players and traders, uh, the, these are the ventures that are um, going to be able to move forward and, and really not worry so much about what's happening in China. And as far as the, the economic piece of the Chinese puzzle is concerned, um, you know, you might have a slowdown now, um, you know, okay, that's fine, we've accounted for it in, 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 our, um, in our, our short-term numbers, but I think of what's re- of, of real interest and real, uh, real importance is the much longer term, where we are seeing that in the much longer term that Chinese economic transition is going to, um, you know, be more impactful than, uh, than anything else and that uh, in, in terms of that uh, overall gas demand and then LNG demand. Um, and so that's something to watch. It's, it's after the policy issues have, uh, have evaporated, uh, and you know what's really happening with this economic transition, and and one of the one of the things that we're watching very closely is ultimately how reforms in the Chinese gas market 
um, are crawling um, you know, quite slowly, and whether or not they'll be fully implemented and realized in time to still take advantage of, of substantially growing demand. Um, or if the transition by that point will be in, in, in full swing and ultimately not mean as much. So, so there is, I think, in some respects, a race against the clock in the medium to longer term to see whether uh, reforms uh, happen and uh, are realized before uh, the transition really starts to take hold. So that, that's what we're, we're going to be focused on. Okay. All right, well, let's uh, shift back to the oil side here um, and bring it back to you, Abi. Um, so crude prices uh, are as volatile as ever, um, but how should we be looking at U.S. crude growth as we, as we get into the fall and winter? What are some of the indicators you're watching? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, along this thesis of, of, of the supply slowdown, right, I think there's, there's kind of a sub-debate here, which is, you know, Yes, we're seeing signs of, of the U.S. supply base led by shale slowing down. Um, you know, why wouldn't it slow down even further next year, right? Like, why wouldn't we go down to 500,000 barrels a day of growth or, or perhaps below um, is, is kind of one big question that's out there in the market. Um, and, and Luke, to your question around, especially later this year, um, you know, what are some of the things to look out for? I mean, look, you're going to see, you know, we talked about the Permian. Um, you're going to see a fairly large debottlenecking process happen out of the Permian where you have, you know, over 2 million barrels a day of additional oil pipeline capacity coming online. Uh, you have one big gas takeaway solution for 2 BCF a day coming online, you know, all between really now and call it early next year. Um, in our view, this is going to flush out some amount of pent-up supply. Um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of these docks and things like that have already been brought down. But a lot of producers, you know, small and large, have been waiting for some of these takeaway solutions to come online just to get some of this, you know, backed up production out. So we think that's going to come. It's not going to come anywhere close to the magnitude of, of the amount of capacity that's available. Um, but there is going to be this flush effect that we think still provides some momentum for supply going into 2020. That's why for now, you know, given our price outlook, as long as WTI can kind of stay north of, you know, 50 to 55 at least, ideally closer to 55 to 60, that you're going to still see this 800,000 plus barrels a day of supply growth next year. Now, look, you know, we obviously, you know, went through, you know, a fairly traumatizing experience for, you know, for prices and for risk assets and for producers late last year. And so, you know, as Ian talked about, if this whole, you know, trade war, um, you know, rhetoric and, and, and situation escalates um, and, you know, things get even worse over the next couple of months and WTI is down in the 40s, uh, you know, it is our view that you're going to see a, you know, a, a sharper slowdown in growth um, going into next year. Um, so hopefully that, that kind of frames the, you know, the, the outlook that, that we're looking at. Obviously, you know, crude drives a lot of it. Um, and ultimately, you know, because of all this associated gas production um, in the Permian, but also in other basins like the Bakken and in other areas incrementally, um, oil prices do even dictate gas um, and along with it NGLs too. That's an important point. Okay, um, so let's, uh, I'm going to throw this to, I guess, any of you, but let's just talk a little bit about kind of the some of the reasons, a lot of them are corporate um, reasons why we are seeing uh, some of this slowdown in growth. Uh, capital discipline is kind of at the top of that list. I mean, that's been the name of the game now for E&P companies for 
some time now. And uh, th this is what uh, the service companies on their earnings calls have been calling out as the reason for uh, lower expected activity in the second half. Companies are sticking really close to their budgets. Um, as demanded by investors, but are, is are, is there more to it than than just kind of the corporate strategies of the producers? Or uh, sure, maybe I can kick it off and then I'll I'll hand it off to you, Noah, for sure to to chime in. But you know, just briefly, you know the the discussion you know between corporates and their you know investors has been around capital discipline and you know and and kind of shifting um, their mantras to kind of adhere to this, but. You know, in our view, the you know the the second part of the problem is that there are very few investors left in you know in this space. You know, especially in this you know pure play ENP part of the space, and you know they they have you know you know a kind of a shrinking base of of folks that they can turn to for support. Where even if they are kind of you know adopting more shareholder friendly and and capital discipline focused uh, metrics into their corporate strategies. You know, there's not really a whole lot of folks left to to buy their stocks and bonds at the end of the day, and that's a shrinking, um, you know, population. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, you know, I think the the history of these shale companies has been that, you know, folks are one very uh, skeptical that you know that that the space can kind of stick to any mantra for a prolonged period of time, and and that's why even though you've had this discussion around capital discipline for the last six, twelve, eighteen months. Um, investors want to see it actually play out over several years, and and all it takes is you know a few companies to to kind of mess it up, um, you know for for the investors to say hey look like you know there's going to always be a couple of bad actors um, across this shale patch. So I think you know that that's a key part of the problem. Um, and just one more thing, Noah, please chime in on that. But you know if we just sort of step back and think about global balances and the need for U.S. supply. I think this is a critical part of the, the issue too, right? You know, we just um, officially, you know, penned down our 2020 demand outlook for, for global oil and liquids demand, um, which is for just north of 1 million barrels a day, right? And if you think about how much supply growth is, is expected to come online next year, um, that number is, you know, closer to 1.8, 1.9 million barrels a day. So I think from an investor perspective, they still see this large divide between uh, demand growth and how much more supply is coming online, you know, and that that also factors in, you know, that OPEC has cut, you know, a massive amount of supply both voluntarily and involuntarily. So I think I know I think you need to see a shrinking of that gap before investors even, you know, come close to buying into this, you know, this this corporate strategy speak. But Noah, anything I, I may have missed on that? Well, no, I, I think everything you said was was really spot on. And then I would just say that I think we need to keep in mind as we're talking about these uh, these capital discipline and, and return of cash to shareholder strategies in the oil industry that while these are new and comparatively these companies are offering more cash to investors than maybe they have in you know in the past. Um, they really, in the grand scheme of things, aren't offering all that much. Um, you know, free cash flow yields, dividend yields, total shareholder return um, for the for the oil sector is is still well below that of the S and P 500. Uh, it's only kind of the best in class uh, companies uh, when it comes to to returns, say a, a ConocoPhillips or or the integrated majors. 
that are really able to compete with your average S&P 500 company um, on a dividend yield basis. And so for, for those investors that are saying that's more important to them, they're still finding a more attractive investment proposition outside of oil and gas. And companies are going to need to execute on these, uh, on these strategies and, and build up things like their dividend yield. Um, but that's going to take free cash flow. And that is in short supply right now and looks to be in short supply as long as prices stay low. Uh, and so I think that that's, companies really are kind of caught in, they, they'd like to transition maybe more quickly uh, to make themselves more attractive to, uh, to a dividend type of investor, um, but they just aren't quite able to yet. Uh, the other thing too is I think we, that companies are, at least especially after the, the second quarter earnings or what we've heard of second quarter earnings, are gonna have to fight a little bit of doubt about the shale resource. Um, the results that we saw from Concho off their, uh, they, they did a large uh, integrated shale project that's called their Dominator Pad, um, and they were worried about spacing. They said it underperformed uh, relative to, to what they had expected. Uh, and so now all of a sudden, it seems like kind of once a year, we have this sort of wave of worry about the actual shale resource. Uh, I personally don't think that it's anything that's going to uh, derail completely U.S. shale growth. But adding uh, the corporate questions and questions around strategy to questions around the resource, I think doesn't bode well for, for share prices. Um, investors don't really have a good reason to invest in oil right now. And just one last thing, Luke, to, to, to add on to that is, you know, I mean, I think there's definitely this theme this year of, of the, the majors having, especially Chevron and Exxon, having figured out shale and just the transfer of growth and, you know, of the amount of incremental growth that you really need out of U.S. shale, the fact that Chevron, Exxon and a handful of other companies can really take care of it is, is, is part of why, you know, you're having this sort of buyer strike for, for some of the kind of the more medium to smaller size shale companies. Okay, and I guess just to put a fine point on it here, Abi, um, what is our outlook on prices uh, the rest of the year into 2020? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question, and there's obviously a lot of variables that, that influence this. Um, but look, and, and ultimately, the demand side and, and, and the global macro environment will probably be, you know, the biggest driving force. And, you know, so we'll see how that pans out. But Let's just say that, you know, for, for argument's sake, you know, you're not going to be completely going off the rails into any big macro slowdown or certainly any recession type environment. Our outlook still is that, you know, Brent can, you know, can, can come out in the kind of the mid to potentially high 60s um, range, which corresponds to a WTI price that's in the high 50s, um, close to 60. And, you know, it's been our view that if you want to have continued supply growth, uh, you know, out of the U.S., uh, you're going to need these sort of prices to to help sustain it. Um, now, what you could see on the flip side is if you have a much uh, you know weaker price environment over the rear, near term, um, you'll have a you know much quicker slowdown on the supply side, and ultimately that'll come back to um, to to correct prices and support them um, and then push them back above again macro permitting. Um, so that that's kind of our view. Let's say looking out over the next eighteen months or so, mid sixties, Brent, uh, you know, high fifties, WTI, um, and then you know while we're talking about uh, you know prices, uh, let me just throw in a quick point on, on on gas prices. So obviously, look, you know, gas prices have fallen a lot harder than than we thought. You know, even though we saw a fairly uh, oversupplied uh, uh, gas market in the U.S. this year, but 
our view is that, you know, Ian was talking earlier about the gas forward curve having corrected lower. Now the forward curve on average is closer to about 250. Um, and it's our view that that is below what is an economic level for all the gas focused producing basins. So you're going to see this again, sharp slowdown in supply um, help to, in our view, correct the price curve higher. And we think that's something in the high twos closer to a $3 Henry Hub Henry average annual forward curve is the right number to think about, which may take one or two years to pan out. Um, so hopefully that, that adds some color on, on how we're viewing prices um, in the context of supply. All right, great. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Abby, and thanks, Ian and Noah. Uh, it's always some really good stuff. Um, thanks for listening to this edition of the Energy Intelligence Podcast. You can get all of our reporting and research at energyintel.com, and we'll see you next time.